But one of the main things that people need to be aware of um, with industrial, I think, is just the the scale, so the size of some of these buildings, and also the time and the cost that might be involved in you know doing a deal. So, for example, um, when you're looking at industrial properties. There's going to be a lot of emphasis, especially if you're looking at older properties. So class B and class C properties, especially, there's going to be a lot of emphasis on what the buildings are being used for. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey, fellow Savvy Real Estate Investors, we have Steven Simpson on our show today. Really excited to have him on the show today because he provides a completely different perspective from many of the conversations we've had in the last little while in that he is actually a uh, commercial real estate investor uh, dealing uh, with industrial facilities. So uh, definitely something that both Jose and I have been interested in for some time. So selfishly, we're going to be picking your brain a lot, but I think that our listeners will also get a lot of value from hearing some of the differences between residential and the industrial space. So to give you a little bit of background um, about Stephen, I'm not going to tell you too much because I think he's going to do a better job telling you about his story. But um, like there seems to be this like common thread with so many real estate investors I meet who come from an engineering background. Um, so Jose is an engineer, too. And coincidentally, Stephen's an engineer, too. He's a PNG, uh, comes from a long uh, corporate career uh, where he did some amazing things, um, practiced as an engineer, has definitely, I'm sure, a technical mind um, and an analytical mindset that comes with uh, most engineers that I know. Uh, and, you know, we'll definitely pick your brain a little bit about that and, you know, your transition into real estate. So um, he is actually also um, the founder and the principal of his own company is called Focus Capital and Focus Developments. So we'll talk a, a lot about what he does within those umbrellas as well. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to uh, introduce Stephen. Thank you for being on the show. And um, maybe you can start out by maybe giving our listeners a little bit more of a comprehensive uh, story about who you are and you know what led you to investing in real estate. Great. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me on and good to be with you both. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about me and then sort of get into my backstory as maybe a segue into the discussion. So as you said, I run a real estate holdings company called Focus Developments, and we've got a portfolio of both residential and commercial properties here in Ontario, which we own and manage. Uh, I've been running Focus Developments for about a year now, uh, but personally have been investing in real estate for about uh, 17 years in total. Uh, my background, as you said, is that as, as a professional engineer and a project management professional. So I worked for about 20 years in various consulting engineering roles, uh, much of which was in uh, commercial real estate and construction management and project management. Uh, and over the years, that corporate experience working in the commercial real estate sector really opened my eyes uh, to, to commercial real estate and, and how it works and how it operates. 
but uh, maybe I'll share a little bit of my backstory about how I initially got interested in real estate and, and, and real estate investing. And that's probably a good segue into, uh, into some other discussions. So, um, you know, as I said, I'm an engineer by trade. And when I was entering the workforce in the early 2000s, sort of very early in my career, I was recruited to work in high tech. And at that time, if you recall, it was sort of this run-up of the dot-com bubble, right? So all the high-tech companies were starting and, you know, and, and establishing themselves and things were going up and down. And it was a very kind of tumultuous time. So I was working um, at a few different companies at that time in the early 2000s. And, you know, I worked at uh, some large companies. I worked at some startup companies. But uh, what I saw was, again, there was just so much churn and, and so much uncertainty in the market. And, and you know, people that went to work at startups could be a millionaire one day and then the stock price goes down and they've got nothing the next day. And it was, it was just real, um, again, a lot of uncertainty, which, which kind of bothered me at that time, even though it could have been construed as exciting, but it financially speaking, it, it, uh, it was a lack of control to say the least. So it was a bit of a crazy time uh, early in my career. So what I realized back then was I really wanted to find a way to take control of my financial future. And that really that that had to be sort of decoupled from um, from my job is my only source of income, right? I needed to find a way to set myself up to um, you know achieve financial independence and achieve more control separate from you know what my company might be doing, what the market might be doing, what the stock price might be doing, for example. So really, that uh, that onus is on me to take uh, to take that responsibility. So this got me down, started down the path of researching different investment vehicles. And, you know, I wanted to learn again how to take back control and, and how to sort of get that financial independence uh, separate from a job. So I looked into all different types of um, investment vehicles at that time. Real estate was one of them. I was thinking about side gigs. I was thinking about starting different, you know, uh, online businesses. All these different things were going through. Um, my mind at the time. And I was trying to educate myself in, in terms of the best way to kind of achieve this control and this financial independence. And um, I was really putting myself forward to kind of educate myself and, and, and try to achieve that. And some, you know, influential names at the time were, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read the Robert Kiyosaki books. Yep. And I've heard you mention yep. them before, Jose. Uh, you know, I was I was into Tony Robbins, looking into what he was doing. Gary Keller wrote the good book. Um, you know, he's got a real estate background as well. And so I was really trying to just consume as much education as I could at that time. Um, but long story short, what I could kind of glean is that um, most wealthy people had some form of real estate in their portfolio. They, they were focused on acquiring assets and, and using things like real estate to um, to set themselves up for that for that wealth and that financial independence. So, um, in 2005, I purchased my first house, and I did what I think they call house hacking. Now, I, I lived in the top floor of the house, and I was renovating the basement to try to you know get it set up as a basement apartment, and then I was going to rent it out. So. Um, this was my first foray into, into real estate and it was, uh, something that I took on more so because I wanted to get in the game. And it's, as you well know, it's once you realize the potential of creating an asset and getting revenue from it, I mean, it's a pretty amazing thing. And, and once you start getting into that and, and see how this might work as a, 
as a way to create a, uh, another revenue stream, it's a pretty powerful thing. So that, that first house and that first sort of, you know, duplex conversion really got me, got me started and got me in the game. Um, but my plan was really not to jump into real estate full time. It was really to supplement my income as an engineer, as I was working, you know, in, in the corporate world. And so, uh, fortunately my, um, as you said, uh, my job at that time involved working in commercial real estate. So I was doing a lot of project management, construction management, and I was investing in real estate in the side. So over the and, years, and what, I kept in, what type of, uh, yeah. construction, construction projects were you involved in? Like, was it, uh, industrial, was it, uh, residential, um, or, uh, kind of, you know, these, uh, other types like in mining, like what, what specifically was Yeah. It? So good question. So I was involved in many different types. So we worked on construction projects ranging from commercial office buildings, like office towers, okay. um, renovating. And I was fortunate enough to work with a lot of architects and mechanical and structural engineers at the time. Um, contractors, tradespeople. So I really kind of got to see how uh, large-scale development projects worked through that. Yeah, yeah. that's because I, I came from exactly the same background. I I, I worked for SNC Lavalin, and and they were kind oh, of wow, inter okay. interdisciplinary with uh, multiple different. Uh, you know, uh, I was in power plants at one point. I was in mining, and you know those those skills actually then translated me to doing construction management for my own uh, for my own deals. Perfect. Yeah. So similar, similar type thing. Once you get your head around, not, not just the teams that are involved in the number of resources, but the types of resources that are involved in getting a deal done or a project completed, it's uh, it's a pretty good uh, level of education that you get. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So talk us back through your story. So you buy this duplex, you house hack, you live in one, and I'm assuming like there's some kind of seed that's now been planted, like the bug, right? Where you're like, Absolutely. Hey, this is pretty cool. Like someone's paying my expenses or some of my, my mortgage and I'm living here and uh, like, maybe I should do this more. So, so what happens next? What do you do? Yeah, absolutely. So as I said, it was never intended to be a full-time thing. It was intended to be sort of a side gig that I was doing. So fortunately for me, my career was going very well. I was getting this great you know, experience and, and career going in commercial real estate and engineering. And then in parallel, I was doing um, residential real estate deals. So I was you know, renovating homes. I was buying uh, residential properties. I was doing duplex conversions. And so over the years, that was sort of my, my thing that I would do on ev evenings and weekends. Um, you know, and so over the years, I, I just kept investing in these in these smaller projects and, you know, learning how to work with you know, mortgage people and appraisers and and inspectors and things like that. And really sort of balancing that with with my career and, you know, sort of fast forward to 2021, I'd done about a dozen deals at that point. Uh, on the residential side. And again, everything from student rentals to, you know, short-term rentals and things like that, uh, multi-unit stuff. And in 2021, I, I made the decision that, you know, I really needed to branch out. And if I wanted to kind of achieve these goals of having that control and that financial independence, uh, this is something that I was going to have to do full time. So again, I was fortunate that I had the experience in commercial real estate and, understood how to do deals on the residential side and even some multi-unit stuff. And I had a comfort level to, to branch off and do this, do this full time. So when, once you start looking into um, uh, commercial properties and uh, 
what were were some of the main differences that you found? Hey, uh, I'm used to residential, but this commercial space is completely different. Uh, what were some of the the big aha moments where you found that hey, this doesn't work the same? Yeah, good question. And and I think it's a bit of a stretch for for people that have mainly focused on residential their whole uh, their whole careers and maybe not had the experience in commercial like I have. It it seems like this sort of foreign foreign world and it's left for institutional investors and things like that. But fortunately I had a bit of a comfort level with it already. So, so one of the things that I, that stood out for me was the, the scalability of it. So for example, I realized that if I wanted to keep doing smaller projects on the residential side, single family homes, duplex conversions, I'd need to be doing a lot of those things. I mean, a lot every year to sort of make this a feasible business. And as you well know, if anything here in Southern Ontario that you're purchasing, it's really tough to make those those properties cash flow. So um, that was the main sort of initial thing that stood out, uh, the, the sort of the scalability of it and, and getting into commercial just to to do bigger deals, leverage your time and your expertise to if you do one deal in commercial, for example, it could be worth, you know, 10 or 15 smaller deals on the, on the residential side. So that was one thing that stood out. And then also it just occurred to me that there's just a lot less competition in commercial versus the smaller residential side. And, and the most obvious example of that is you're not competing, competing with homeowners for these, you know, starter homes or these duplex conversions or people house hacking and things like that. So, you know, there's just a lot of people, a lot of the competition just tends to go away. And then there's obviously a lot of other benefits in terms of um, things like the lease structures and the tenant profiles, which we can get into, but those are sort of the two things that, that stood out initially. Yeah. And when, when you started down your path of looking at commercial uh, real estate, you know, there's, there's so many other asset classes within it, right? You could do multifamily, you could do retail, you could do industrial. What made you choose uh, to go into industrial? Yeah. So I had a certain comfort level with industrial, just coming from my engineering background. I mean, I tell people, I always had a hard hat and steel toe boots in my trunk. So it was not, it was not a big thing for me to walk into an industrial building at any time and mix it up with the guys there. So that was, that was something There was a comfort level for me uh, in terms of that. But probably the other thing was I like the simplicity of it. Um, You know, some people look at industrial and say, well, these are just big, boring boxes and just, you know, there's some of them are dirty, you know, some of them are, there's real sort of production going on. There's no sexy factor to it, right? Yeah, exactly. And and a lot of these buildings are in older areas and they're, you know, there's tradespeople running around and there's there's just a lot of blue collar work. Um, So that tends to turn people off um, from doing things like, you know, high-end home flipping or whatever. It's just a different ballgame. But I realized that my comfort level in getting into those spaces and, and working with people in, in the trades, for example, and contractors was was to my advantage, right? I didn't have a problem going and working in these in these buildings. And once you start seeing the revenue potential and the cash flow uh, potential in some of these uh, opportunities, it it became even more attractive at that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. So talk to us about that transition. I mean, I think that some people who may have thought about you know, who are frustrated with residential for all the reasons you mentioned, they don't know where to start. So is there, talk to, talk us through maybe your first deal. Like, how did you find it? 
what was the size of the deal and you know maybe give us some rough napkin math on like what what you did there sure well i'll tell people um who are considering it obviously there's there's a lot of benefits in some of those i just mentioned but it it is a bit of a learning curve to get into and i think the natural progression for a lot of people doing residential is they'll do single family duplex fourplex and then they'll get into apartment buildings if they ever get there yeah um and there's there's a little bit of a comfort level because you're still dealing with residential it's just bigger it's just more of uh whereas when you're talking industrial again it's it's there's it's just a different sort of setup in terms of the tenant profile and things like that but one of the main things that people need to be aware of um with industrial i think is just the the scale so the size of some of these buildings and also the time and the cost that might be involved in you know doing a deal so for example um when you're looking at industrial properties there's going to be a lot of emphasis especially if you're looking at older properties so class b and class c properties especially there's going to be a lot of emphasis on what the buildings are being used for so you can have everything from your very kind of light industrial flex space which is you know these clean warehouses and a bit of retail and office all the way over to you know the other side of the equation which is heavy industrial it's those really you know we could be doing production or heavy manufacturing things like that and and these are buildings that that really kind of um have a lot of environmental impact so so when you're looking at industrial environmental um assessments are an important thing um your inspections are an important thing uh getting through your appraisal uh the appraisal process is, is an important thing and working with lenders that understand industrial is is also key so I tell people you need to be ready for all of this because um, Jose, you and I have probably talked about some of these things with respect to commercial properties and you know yeah. appraisals and the different factors. But uh, in industrial specifically, for example, when you're looking at a, a property that's been up, uh, operating as an industrial um, setup for you know 10, 15, 20 years plus, there may be contamination. There may be uh, different things going on. There may be some noise pollution. There may be some air pollution. They're just different things that you need to consider. I tend to focus on light industrial properties. So there, there's mm -hmm. usually a lot less of that. But in any one of these properties that you're looking at, completing an environmental assessment is key. And you can very easily get tripped up at this stage if you're not knowledgeable enough in terms of working with the environmental engineers, working with your lender, um, because even an industrial property that's been operating, you know, for 20 years and there hasn't been any contamination, it's very easy for the environmental engineers to find a couple little things that they should investigate further. And then you're into soil samples and, yeah, you know, two. digging wells and phase two, and you're into yeah. 10, 20, $30,000 before you know it. So I just tell people to be ready for that because yeah. guaranteed you're going to be spending money on uh, an environmental assessment, an appraisal, and an inspection. And if you really uh, are not prepared for that, um, you know, it, it can really take you sideways and, and you end up throwing a lot of money at potentially bad deals. So I think that's one of the key things that people need to be ready for is that just sort of that, that difference in how you're looking at these properties and assessing them. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely the I, like if I were to think of industrial, I mean, most industrial 
you know, establishments or companies would be using some kind of, uh, let's say, a petroleum product, which is, you know, if it if it gets dropped on the ground and it's seeping, you're going to get a contamination, right? So, um, yeah. is do the uh, the lenders, um, like how are do you, are you always doing phase two studies on these because you know you're definitely going to find something? No, it's so you're not always doing. You're always going to be doing a phase one. Yeah. Um, I've I've yeah. never found a lender who didn't at least want a phase one, and. What tends to happen is, again, if you're looking at um, older industrial properties, so class B and class C for sure properties, you know, things that have been around for 30, 40 years plus, yeah. um, there tends to be this uh, attitude, let's, let's call it from some of the environmental engineers that, well, we can't go and dig up every aspect of the property. So like during a phase one, so we're just going to highlight the fact that, you know, we recommend a, a phase two assessment and we'll do further investigation. That's right. So, right. you know, it's, it's sort of, and I'm an engineer, you guys, you're an engineer. We kind of do this in our reports. Sometimes we say, yeah. well, to be further assessed later. Right. Yeah. Because they, so I mean, for them, it's a kind of a, also getting a business from phase two as well. So they're sure. setting themselves up and, of and course, protecting the, their liability. Yeah, right? and, and of course, the, the lender, like whatever they read, they're gonna be like, okay, they recommend phase two. And there, it's not their money out of their pocket. So let's, you need a phase two done. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, you know, I've I've been through uh, one phase two. All the rest of my deals were were just phase one, but you tend to have this negotiation back and forth with the, with the environment uh, environmental engineers typically where obviously like you said they want to do more work and they want to cover their their liability and things like that so it's really a matter of flushing out a lot of these issues and and working with them and so it's more of a team type approach that i take when i do my deals and and that's that project management experience that kind of comes back and yeah you know, I, I sort of call a meeting with everybody at the start of due diligence that we do. And, you know, it'll be the environmental guys and the appraisers and the inspector. We, I'm saying, you know, we're going to get through this, but, you know, we all have to work together. And and usually we've got, you know, 60 or 90 days or something. And it's just a matter of working together as a team to get through it because it's very easy to just say, well, we need to do a further report or I don't know or whatever, but, um, you know, you've got to build those communication skills and the project management skills to get through these things and, and assess, are there really issues here or are we just sort of kicking things down the road uh, because we don't, uh, we don't want to look into it right now. So, so I think that's key is, is just making sure that you're working together with your guys as a team. Yeah, yeah for sure. And yeah. so, I mean, in, in residential, we know how this works. Like we buy something, we add value to it by doing like a renovation, we increase the rents, um, what is the strategy in industrial? Is it similar? Are you buying them and letting them ride for a while and the cash flow is good or are the ones that you're doing value add? And, and talk to us about yeah. what that looks like in an industrial world. Yeah, for sure. So I think, I mean, really the topic here is like, you know, what are the benefits of commercial really versus residential and, and more specifically, how does that relate to industrial? So, um, you know, I think obvious, the obvious one is is these commercial buildings are going to be valued based on their net operating income, right? So that's kind of your your standard that you're always dealing with. And and if you can purchase a property, add value to it either through decreasing the expenses or increasing the revenue, 
and thereby increasing your net operating income, you've, you've added value, you've forced appreciation to this particular building. So, I mean, that's just one major benefit. We, we tend to look at properties that are uh, class B and there's some value add component. And we also look at uh, areas outside of the GTA and secondary markets. And so obviously, you know, GTA and, and a good part of Southern Ontario is just the run-up has been so hot in not only residential, but also commercial that it's very hard to make the numbers work for, for establishing, you know, a decent returns in those areas. So we're looking at outside markets, these secondary markets in Ontario. And in those areas, uh, you're able to get a much better sort of cost per square foot and do these things, like I was saying, in terms of forcing the appreciation. So there's opportunities to do that. If you can find properties, for example, where the leases are below market rent, if you're able to find, um, you know, bigger parcels of land where you could redevelop or add onto the properties, that's another, that's another way to increase value. And so there's, there's different things like this, the different strategies that you can take whereby you can force that appreciation up and then increase yeah. your cash flow. No, that's, uh, that's great. Uh, yeah, it, it's, so it's more of a, you, so when you're looking for an industrial opportunity, you're, you're focusing on the leases. Um, when are they coming up for renewal and, uh, what is the spread between, uh, what, what they're charging now versus what, you know, what the market should be. So, mm-hmm. uh, talk to us about a little bit about like some of the financial due diligence that you would have to go through, uh, and, and, you know, uh, which is not typical from, uh, uh, let's say multifamily. Yeah, absolutely. So the financial due diligence is, is really looking into, uh, the income and, and expenses of the property, but also on the credibility of your, your tenants. Right? right. So I will say it is a challenge working through some of that on class B type properties, because typically we're dealing with like our units range anywhere from 2000 to 7,000 square feet. So typically the tenant profile for those types of industrial units are contractors, smaller businesses, a bit of storage. There's, you know, one of our tenants has a bit of a retail front and, you know, you're not dealing with the Amazons of the world. You're not dealing with, you know, home depots and things like that. So, um, some of the challenges come through just looking into how to properly evaluate uh, these companies. They're, you know, you want to look at their financial statements. You want to talk to their clients, for example. Uh, and so you need to basically do a bit of digging. And in these smaller markets, what you want to what you want to look at primarily is how established are these businesses? Did they just start up last year? Have they been in business for twenty years? Is there what's the reputation like? Who's their client base? And so and you actually cor- do get access to uh, their financials. I can I can get access to some. Um, you, you know, I will admit it is challenging with some of these smaller businesses. Their financial statements aren't you know up to snuff sometimes, but uh, you know I do get uh, some some details that I can kind of go through and I can talk to uh, accounting people and things like that. But the other thing that I tend to focus on is understanding who their customers and their clients are. And what I want to find out is, okay, do you have one customer or do you have you know a thousand? 
could one or two things that happen to your main customer wipe you out completely, you know, next month if they go sideways? And so these are the types of questions that you have to be asking to do a bit of due diligence on, on these, these uh, tenant businesses and understanding, you know, how sensitive they are to market changes. Yeah. So their, their, their credit worthiness basically um, yeah. of, of each tenant and um, you know, kind of assessing, you know, are they in a, uh, risky business, which is gonna, you know, uh, won't last another five years or yeah. are they more of a long-term? Okay. Yeah. And, and as I mentioned, a lot of these are, are blue collar businesses, you know, some of my tenants are, are HVAC companies, you know, insulation companies. Um, there's a company that does, uh, you know, there's service technicians and they go out and service different types of commercial equipment. Uh, and so I have an electrician contractor who's a, who's a tenant. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say they're completely recession proof, but these are businesses that are not going to be, you know, yeah. uh, going away anytime soon because, you know, we all still need those things to, to support our economy and our, our market here. So, you know, that gives you a level of confidence when you're talking to them for sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So talk to us. I mean, when did you actually leave your corporate job and start pursuing commercial full time? And how has that been? And I mean, it sounds like you've been able to hit the ground running. And I'm assuming that's because you already had many of the skills from your corporate life that have sort of propelled you into this new world. Um, maybe talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So I uh, I, fo- I started uh, Focus Developments in 2021. So I've been working for about a year now, full time um, in the commercial real estate space. And as I said, that was um, you know a transition that I think was easier based uh, upon my career path and the different skills and expertise that I gained over the years. Uh, but yeah, I made that decision really to fulfill that initial desire to get control back of, of my time and my financial independence. Uh, as I said, I was fortunate enough to invest over the years on the residential side. And that, along with the skills and experience, really gave me that springboard to go into this full time. And when I looked at going out full time, again, as you're asking, Jose, I looked at the different opportunities that were out there. I said, well, could I just take my residential investing career to the next level? Could I just 10x that and do, you know, 10, 20 deals a year? Or do I want to do something a bit more scalable? And so that was really one of the key points. And I looked at the different asset classes and I knew I wanted to do something involved with real estate. And industrial was the thing that I kept coming back to over and over again because of all the things that I mentioned. And so it's been a it's been an interesting transition, as as you both know. Um, running your own business uh, can definitely have its ups and downs. Uh, you know, you've got days where you know things are going smoothly, and then the next day your your tenants are calling you about some issue. And uh, I've got a lease renewal that I'm working on right now, and you know a, a different deal that we're doing due diligence on, and and so. It it sometimes rains and sometimes uh, you know it, it pours and sometimes it's it's very calm and, and steady. So it really just depends. But uh, honestly, it's been a great transition. We've had a lot of success so far, and um, you know I really like what we're doing in the industrial space. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. that's amazing. And um, what, what I what I wanted to kind of get down to is um, what what is the business plan involved, right? Like, is it to refinance in a couple of years? Or is it, are you lock into like a five-year term? Um, and then, you know, are, is your plan to refinance uh, after five years? Uh, or is it to exit 
and then move on to a bigger property. Well, what's uh, what's their plan so far? Yeah, it really it it depends on the property type, and but traditionally, our the the goal here is to do long term holds, right? So we're not looking to get in and out of properties in a year or two. Um, we're really focused on buying quality properties with very stable tenants and holding them for, you know, minimum five years. And in most cases it's 10 years plus we want to create this ongoing asset that we can, that we can grow and we can, you know, add value to and really make it a very solid part of our portfolio. So that's, that's the core sort of tenant that we have, uh, with, with respect to our investment strategy. Having said that, are there opportunities that come up where you see a property that, you know, you could be in and out in, in maybe two years, three years by doing a you know redevelopment or, you know, passing it on to another investor? Absolutely. There's, there's those types of things that are in the market. Um, but obviously there's a lot more risk in that. So really our, our focus is really to get these long-term hold properties at our value and then create the returns based off of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, give me, give us a a, a kind of a snapshot on the returns because, you know, I would say a lot of people are, may have misconceptions that these uh, industrial properties may not offer the, you know, high returns that maybe a residential or development project might offer. So uh, maybe, you know, uh, walk us through uh, kind of some of the returns that you're seeing. Sure. Yeah. And, and again, every property is going to be different, but I think what I will say is commercial real estate is a lot less affected by, you know, what happened, for example, in early 2022 with the run up and the peak in the, in the residential space, commercial real estate is, is a lot less affected by things like that. It's, it's a lot more stable. Um, there is definitely appreciation and there's forced appreciation opportunities, as I mentioned, but you're not going to get these uh, wild swings per se. Uh, definitely not in the industrial space, even though it, it is a strong asset class. So typically, I mean, we're looking for returns, um, you know, in the 15% plus range. And, you know, that's a that's an internal rate of return. Um, but every property is different. And some could be less than that. Some could be more. But that's sort of our threshold of what we're looking at. And obviously in the residential side, if you get a hot market at the right time and you buy a property and you do a nice little flip with it, who knows what your returns could be. But yeah. my thing that I always go back to is, you know, I want that control and I want that stability and commercial gives me that, right? So I can force that appreciation. I can put in a better quality tenant. I could add to the property. And then there's a lot more control in terms of what you could do. But, you know, Going back to the question about, um, you know, cash flow, the thing that I do see is in commercial, there's many more opportunities to produce cash flow versus that, you know, huge increase in in appreciation that you might get on the residential side doing things right. like single family homes, right? So uh, the cash flow is going to be a lot better, but you're not going to see those, you know, 15, 20% per year, you know, increases yeah. and things like that. Yeah. 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 No, and, and I think, you know, cash flow is, uh, getting for us even more and more important uh, just because, you know, it, the market has been uh, amazingly good in the residential side, but I think we're going to see some slowdown in that growth um, yeah, now. I agree. You know, so, and I'm, I'm seeing, you know, I just came back from a conference uh, in the U S and, 
industrial is uh, pretty much uh, always top three uh, yeah. sectors, you know, if not top two, I would say. So, well, uh, to your point earlier, it could be a bit boring, but boring's good when you're talking financial stuff. I mean, you don't yeah, want it yeah. to be too crazy, right? You like yeah. to have some stability there. Yeah. Yeah. And then what I love about industrial is, uh, and of course, uh, the triple net leases, right? Is uh, the management is a lot more um, manageable. Uh, it's, you know, you're not dealing with like small tenants and delinquencies and um, the uh, unfavorable tenant laws. Um, you know, like how does it, how long does it take for, uh, for example, for evictions on a commercial in Ontario? Well, luckily I haven't been through one, so I can't yeah. <laughs> comment based on my own experience, but uh, I, I, it's much different from the residential side. And I'm sure you've been through some evictions. I've been through some evictions on the residential yeah. side. Yeah. I remember like uh, I was yeah. a partner in a retail plaza and uh, it was uh, like within, um, I would say, 60 days, I think it was like uh, the uh, sheriff was yeah. there at the property, you know. Because you're dealing with contract law versus a residential tenancy exactly. act, right? I yeah. mean, it's it's a yeah. different ballgame. But yeah. but yeah, yeah. May, maybe I'll just sort of run through, um, you know, sort of the top five, you know, mm -hmm. things that I like about commercial versus residential. Sure. And, and we can kind of go through that. So you mentioned the lease structure. So most cases, if you've signed the appropriate lease and you you know you've done your 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 homework on it, you're you're setting up what's called a triple net lease, and and that is a lease structure whereby um, you're charging base rent to your tenants, and then you're charging additional rent, and that additional rent would cover all the uh, expenses, the taxes, the insurance on the company, and the maintenance or uh, um, insurance uh, on the property and the maintenance, and so. Yeah. What's that letting that's letting you do uh, sort of this pass through model whereby you're um, getting a truly net uh, cash flow off of your property. The tenants are paying for all of the additional costs, which is an amazing thing if you're coming from the residential side and especially yeah, if you've got an all inclusive rent brilliant. or something. It's it's really it kind of blows your mind the first time you 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 look at, at a commercial lease and in most leases again if they're set up properly they will literally say in the first page or two, this is a carefree net lease for the benefit of the landlord. I mean, it'll, it'll be very, very clear about that. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, the first thing, uh, the lease structure. Um, the second would be these forced appreciation opportunities that I mentioned, you know, increasing the net, net operating income, um, decreasing your expenses, you know, doing something to actually force that appreciation up on on the property is is really one of the the other main benefits is is that you've got more control over that versus a residential property. And then I think um, you know the third thing in terms of the benefits of, of commercial is really that tenant profile. You're dealing with with businesses versus dealing residents. You're not having to um, evict people from their homes. It's it's a business uh, set up. You know, the, it's a different structure in terms of how you're dealing with that tenant profile. And you're also dealing with business people. So you're you're able to talk with people more in a business framework than than talking to people about uh, about their home. Mm -hmm. uh, I think emotional. one of the other benefits, yeah. sorry? It's less emotional. It, it is. It is a lot less emotional. Um, and so, yeah, it, 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 it's definitely a benefit. Uh, I think the other benefit is, um, you know, having, again, this long-term focus, right? So most 
commercial leases are five years minimum. Many are 10 years plus if it's a very established business and they're looking to set up for a while. And so you're thinking about things not in terms of, okay, well, what's the spring market going to do? And what about interest rates later yeah. this year? I mean, you're you're thinking in five-year chunks, right? And and again, if you can get it done right, eight to 10 years is, is a nice lease to get with a solid tenant. Uh, increasing every year. So so that long-term focus is, is, I think, a real benefit. And then I think the fifth thing, which I touched upon earlier in terms of benefit of commercial, is there's just less, there's less competition, right? So um, I have seen bidding wars on, on commercial properties, but it is absolutely not the norm. It's the exception. So yeah. typically things are a little bit more in your control in terms of how you want to uh, work with brokers and getting your due diligence done and and just things te- tend to be a little bit more stretched out, which gives you a bit more breathing room to to do your deals and do your analysis and get get things done. Yeah, I yeah. know. That's it's uh, awesome. I think uh, I, I'm almost like, hey, like we should just uh, look into commercial, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, which we have talked about before. But again, I think like many residential investors, um, you kind of get caught up in what you know is what you know, right? So it's right. exactly the same thing. Like, hey, I have a, a duplex. Let me buy a fourplex. Let me go buy an apartment. Let me go do this because it's what you know. And um, I, I'm definitely from the conversation here. I think our listeners will understand too that there is a learning curve, but I think it is doable for people. Or you know, uh, at the very least, um, investors who are looking to get involved in commercial. Um, industrial especially can use it as a as a way to generate passive income because I'm sure there's people like yourself or other people who uh, raise capital and because of the high cash flow that is in this asset class it does differentiate from like you know investing in an apartment building for example where you're primarily investing based on like an, an equity right an equity position because you're hoping to increase the value of the building so um I think that that's that's really cool to know yeah. <clears throat> and you know, it's nice to know that you can still get cash flow in Ontario, um, yeah. Yeah. which I think many people, uh, you know, uh, have lost hope in because, especially in the residential space, it is becoming harder and harder to cash flow. And like we talked about before, cash flow is still very important, um, as much as appreciation and you know all that other good stuff is is great. So right. yeah, I uh, yeah we uh, wanted to kind of wrap up the conversation, but uh, you know it. What's the best way for people to learn more about you and and uh, get in touch with you? Sure. So I just encourage everyone to visit uh, our website, which is focuscapital.ca. And I'm sure you can put that in the show notes as well. For yep. sure. We um, on, on the website, we've got a lot of uh, free resources, uh, some uh, guides to commercial real estate investing, uh, some articles and some other podcasts that I've done. So yeah, I encourage people to go there, focuscapital.ca check out the information there and, and um, you know, if they want to get in contact uh, with us with respect to any of our upcoming opportunities, they can do that as, uh, as well. Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely link all of that in our show notes. I appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with us today. I learned so much. I know Jose and you have had some conversations, but I personally don't know very much at all about uh, the industrial space. So I appreciate all of your insights and those five tips at the end definitely sealed the deal. Like there was, there was really, really good comparison. So uh, some really good points about what really makes industrial a great asset class at the end of the day. Um, You know, it's funny, just as a last thought, there's a lot of hype about self-storage 
because everybody's talking a lot about self-storage, but I don't hear that many people talking about industrial. So sometimes you want to, you know, focus your attention to the things that not everybody's talking about. And like Jose said, that aren't necessarily as sexy, but um, definitely have a lot of potential. So thank you. Thank you again, Stephen, for your time and your expertise. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Great talking to you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.